Hey, Tim, how's it going? It's going fantastic, David. It's going fantastic. Thanks, Tim. Right, that's, that, that's, that's, that's a lie. No, oh, it's not. It's not going no, fantastic, right? Because no, of your got, sleep apnea machine. Yeah, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. I I went to the sleep clinic to prove <laughs> my wife wrong to tell her to quiet her once and for all because she keeps harping on me that I have sleep apnea. I need to get it checked out. So I went to prove her wrong. Ponied up three hundred and fifty bucks, and sure enough, I have sleep apnea. And now <laughs> I've, I've been struggling with this CPAP machine for the last week fighting with it and uh, I've been getting the worst sleeps so you can probably tell my voice is a little hoarse yeah and uh yeah anyways but uh th- those are me problems you know we got <laughs> fish to fry <laughs> yeah we get there are bigger problems in the world than your sleep apnea so that's yeah. all right um so today we wanted to talk about government um and in particular because you know we've talked a bit about it before and you're an anarcho-capitalist, I've been reading more, uh, you know, getting more interested in objectivism. And so I really wanted to kind of hone in on some of the differences. And, you know, I do think now, or at least, you know, as my current standing, that anarcho-capitalism, as, you know, as I understand it, doesn't, wouldn't actually work rationally. Um, and so basically, the, the fundamental principle is that, you know, if there are multiple, uh, you know, dispute resolution organizations or something like that, and they're in charge of, you know, securing people's property and these sorts of things, if there's not a single government and instead there's, you know, multiple options, the biggest problem is what happens if, you know, you and I have a dispute, we have different DROs. And then they can't come to an agreement, right? You know, right. who arbitrates the DROs? It may, it's fine if, you know, we have, if we both opt into a specific rule book, but there would be the potential of multiple rule books. And so what is, you know, what happens in that situation? Who arbitrates the arbitrator? Right. And so I guess, um, you know, the, I, the same question could be asked of, the fact that we have multiple nations, right? We have something like 279 different governments on earth and um, we have to, uh, we, we have to, I mean, there's no final arbiter for disputes between Between nations, nations, right? Which is definitely an issue, but so it's within any country, right? Um, right. Within any nation, what system would you put in place? Right. And so, well, wouldn't the the correct argument then be for a one world government that is the final arbiter under objective law of all disputes? I mean, I suppose like potentially, but I think it's not really I don't think that's a realistic, relevant thing to the average person, I guess, because, right. you know, it's more about what actually my interactions tend to be. But yeah, there, there is like a, there is a, if there's an ultimate rational truth, then you know you would want that to be followed, right? And people just engage rationally, and you do have that. Right. Um, so yeah, if you know if there were two nations that each had a you know a minimalist, rational government that enforced laws, you know, to protect each individual only, then eventually, yeah, you could have you know Canada and the U.S say, okay, we have the same laws, we can now have complete free trade and free engagement between each other, right? But, but would so, there be anything in objectivist philosophy that would say that 
that there's anything worse, you know, like let's say US and Canada were both objectivist minarchist nations. Um, they're two separate governments. There's no final arbiter in between in disputes between the two. Um, in that there's no government above that government. Mm. Um, would would that be a worse state of affairs than having a one world government or something like that? Or a North American government, right? Because if, if it's permissible to, for, for there to be two separate nations, objectivist nations in North America, why couldn't there be five separate objectivist nations or, um, you know, 400 million separate Right, uh, but because like the more that there, the more that there, the more that there can be, the more risk that there's issues, right? And also, you know, when we're talking about a dispute resolution organization, it's not the same as, you know, a national government, because what is the, what prevents Okay, like it's a it's a lot more of a hurdle to create a new nation and a new government than it would be in you know an anarcho capitalist society to create a new dispute resolution organization. Right. So what you know prevents someone who isn't rational or who has malicious ends to create a dispute resolution organization that ha gets a following as well, right? Like you know this these things can happen on a national level. It's possible there are evil nations potentially, right? But it seems like it's a lot less of a hurdle if it's just anyone can start one of these things and, you know, then has the ability theoretically to use their judgment to impact to to use force. Right. If they think that one of their uh, clients is wronged, they have the right to use force. Um, right. So you kind of want. Larger buckets where people are agreeing to the same rules and laws. And so if it got like the reason there are disputes between Canada and the US is because would be because they, you know, had different, you know, interpretations of, of, of objective law. If at some point they determined that we all have the same things, then it becomes arbitrary, right? And you would have free flow between the two. Okay, so I, I mean, I just want you to notice here that that this that the arguments that that you're making here aren't from uh, first principles, right? They're they're a pragmatic argument. They're 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 you, what you're saying is no. You, I see. You I don't you, think you can't see how it's going to work. No, I and, don't and, think it's pragmatic. I think that having anyone be able to create a dispute resolution organization and saying that dispute resolution organizations have the ability to infringe upon some people's rights if they determine that someone else's rights have been infringed upon you're giving more and more people the right like you could eventually get to a place where everyone has their own dispute resolution organization and it's up to them right that's anarchy it's up to them to determine if they've been wronged right and so if anyone can create this and then my dro determines oh no, you actually have infringed on my client's rights, we're gonna now infringe on yours, right? So if you have as many people who can create that as possible, like that is a problem. So I don't think it's it's pragmatic okay, to have something else. I think it's inherently flawed. Well, may, maybe, maybe not. Let's just go through, you, you. I asked you to send me, because you, you had been reading a couple of articles that kind of convinced you that um, minarchism was the way to go. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I read one of these, and I just want to pull a few quotes out of this. Uh, th- this is by Ayn Rand, and it's called uh, The Nature of Government. And the first thing mm-hmm. is um, the, the definition here, right? A government is an institution that holds the exclusive power to enforce certain rules of social conduct in a given geographical area. Okay, so that's how she's defining government, which, okay, so far I have uh, no issues with that definition. That That's a pretty good definition. Um, what uh, the, the question, I guess, arises, okay, where does that government, how does that government arise? Where does it get its rights to do this enforcement from? Why do those people that call themselves government have the right, but other people don't have the right? That That is yet to be described. But she goes on a little later in the essay to talk about um, the fact that, that governments are not to be rulers of the people, but to, uh, I'm trying to find the exact quote here. Uh, oh, yeah. Government is not the ruler, but the servant or agent of the citizens. It means that the government ha- as such has no rights except the rights de- delegated to it by the citizens for a specific purpose. So the consent of the governed is important here, right? So, mm-hmm. so I mean, th- this is the definition of anarchy is uh, no rulers, right? And so she is here to me making the case for anarchy, which is to say that that government has no rights except that delegated by its citizens. It's not the ruler, it's the agent or the servant. So, um, so then the question is, okay, well, what, what if I want to secede from that government or uh, have a different, you know, because government's proper role is to protect individual rights. It's to protect the individual. So we delegate the right. Uh, I think she's right. We don't want a bunch of, um, I think you're right here, that we don't want a bunch of vigilantes out there and we don't want like essentially warring governments going at each other. Um and so we would want to, you know, outsource the outsource justice to uh, a neutral third party that follows some sort of objective law. Right. Mm-hmm. But objective governments um, would have varying degrees of effectiveness at protecting individual rights. So why would I stick with one that's less efficient than another? And why couldn't I secede? from one government and and hire another right why where where does that government get the right over the landmass called canada to to govern me well it's from the people right and so basically yeah, but it didn't the, get that right from me so how would it get that right in the first place right well it would have originally gotten the rights from the people right and so it's like you have to opt you you don't have to opt in but you can't enforce something on your own accord right so originally there's you know 50 people in a spot and they say okay we need we want someone to arbitrate our disputes and they pick someone they pick moses right so they say okay moses seems pretty smart and wise we're gonna let him decide our disputes and then you know the next 50 people around that neighborhood see that this neighborhood's thriving and they want to join in and so it, it kind of grows naturally from there. Originally, that's what would have happened, right? And so if someone new is born into this system and they say, well, actually, 
you know, I don't think Moses is good or I don't think this government is good. I don't want them to do this on my behalf. That's fine. They don't have to. But you then don't uh, somehow have the you know power to say that your decisions are better than it and you can enforce your decisions on other people. You can right. still operate yourself within that realm. Right. And so even in one of her other essays, she talks about how you voluntarily finance government. And she basically said it would be an optional thing on any credit transaction. So if you don't want your credit transaction, you know, protected by the courts, you don't have to. Right. And, right. and then if someone cheats you, they cheat you. Right. Um, but I think the bigger concern I have is not with that. It's with if you allow multiple who arbitrates when they disagree. Right. Yeah, well, and, that, that's a tactical issue, right? I mean, um, so so let's go back a second here. Um, so I, I I like her conception, and and I think she even said something like this in an essay once that um, that it would you know essentially there'd be a lot of free riders, but that's okay. That doesn't harm um, you know like the the richest people in a society are gonna benefit the from, most from benefit the most from it because. And they they have the most to lose basically right and yeah. so they're they're going to be incentivized to fund this government voluntarily um, because they're going to want to protect their wealth and their individual rights and and people that opt out of funding it they're they're still going to benefit from that uh, stuff so I, I kind of like that and, and you know myself trying to come up with a um, uh, a platform right now that that is a minarchist platform essentially for the Libertarian Party of Canada. Um, that, that's what I'm interested in. And I, I like that conception. Um, but, and, and so, you know, it feels, it does feel a little bit though, when we start moving, like, again, we're, we're talking about technical, practical details here. Right. And, um, you know, the government is providing a service. It's providing the protection of individual rights and it's providing dispute resolution or, or justice or something like that. Mm. And, you know, the, these are difficult, tricky things to get right. And, you know, in, but, in, so in, in, if, but yeah. just let me finish here. In, in every other domain where things are difficult to get right, whether it's making a, an automobile or providing any kind of service, we, we don't think that we need a monopoly on those services or um, it's going to things are going to fall off. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Having competitive pressure usually makes things a bit better. And this is why most people think that it's it's preferable to have multiple states or multiple governments um, kind of competing for. Uh, for citizens, for customers, so to speak, right? Like if I don't like, if, if this government starts going off the rails, like what what chains down uh, an objectivist government, right? What what confines it to objective law? You know, the, the US, one could argue, was probably the most objectivist government you could get. It, it had a constitution that, uh, you know, uh, articulated inalienable rights of the individual very very you know close to objectivist uh, government yet it's grown to the biggest uh, most uh, uh, imperialistic state in human history um, you know that's responsible for for millions of deaths worldwide and and 
you know, so, so how do you, how do you bind it down? Right. That's, that's the question. And I, I can't help but think that if the U S were a one world government, um, that it would be, have grown even more, right. That there's competitive pressures. Um, you know, businessmen can leave if they feel too oppressed or too, if, if they're, if the government starts taking too much of their money. And so that <clears throat> helps put pressure on the government to keep taxes low and so on. Right. And so your argument is that since that model theoretically is what's existing or what would exist like between nations, that it makes sense that that's what would work within well, a no, nation. That, that, that's not my argument that I mean, my argument is from first principles philosophically. Right. It's it's that uh, I, I don't have the right to govern a landmass, uh, a geographical area, unless all the landowners in that landmass consent to me being governed. If someone else wants to have someone else arbitrate their disputes uh, or protect their individual rights. Right. Um, and- I, I have the right to stop them from doing that. And so um, and, and so, you know, to me, it's either <clears throat> it's either Rand was talking about the exact same things we're talking about as anarcho-capitalists in that governments are essentially dispute resolution organizations that are charged with protecting individual rights and right. that you have the right to secede and um, and and consent to a different uh, agency or government to do that. Or she's saying that government has special rights that individuals don't have and can't then properly delegate, which would be a contradiction of her own principles, right? So I'm trying to find a consistent principle here that well, so would get I think me to a that, monarchist state. I think and, that it's and I'm just also that to addressing your pragmatic concerns about well, how would it work? No, so I think that it's actually that you can opt out. You just can't create a competitive one that automatically has some clout, right? In any nation, even the ones that exist today there can be overthrowing of the government if you like truly think that it doesn't serve you. And, and if all of the people in an objective society were to say this government is not objective, this government does not serve us. But the, the fundamental thing that I think, you know, I think from my understanding, your first principles and objective first principles do align to the point of, you know, what the first DRO would look like. But then it's okay. What? Who determines what happens if people decide they want to opt out, right? So right. she's not saying that you have to. You have to, uh, you know, submit to this government unless it determines that you've encroached on someone else's rights in an objective way, right? Right. And so. You're saying, well, maybe I don't agree with that decision, so I'm going to now pick a different government or a different DRO that I think is more in line with my objective principles as I see them, right? And so I think under her, uh, you know, framework, you would just be, you know, opted out from the one that exists. You're saying, well, I should actually be able to create another one. And so well, I'm well saying, no, what, what I'm saying is I should be able to hire someone else to protect me than the, the current um, government. Right. So and right. And, and so and I'm saying if you have that ability, 
what happens when those two dispute? Like, I, do, I don't think that's a pragmatic or practical question. I think that is the next step. I think I think the two philosophies agree until that point, basically, is when you decide the 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 main DRO. It, so let's say there's one DRO with 80% market share. What happens when the other one with 20% market share has a dispute and these two can't agree, right? That is that is a sure. But, I don't but think what, that's pragmatic. What, I think that is. But what happens mad. now if I if if my government is no longer following objective law and I can't secede, right? Um, so I, I mean that that problem doesn't, you know, having one government doesn't solve that problem, does it? I mean, the, the, the government can go off the rails. It can it can follow non-objective law. And when it starts doing that, and it's in fact, it's likely to do that. Every history of anything approaching a minarchist government, that happens. And the only thing that keeps it somewhat minarchist is the fact that there are competing governments. You can move, you know, as long as you have relatively free immigration, you can move to a neighboring country that's governed by, by a more uh, objectivist government and move there right uh, you know and so this your, what... your argument is then like there would just be a war like there would be disputes between the dro's right like no it, there's no there's there's countries exist peacefully right they don't have to go to war um you know in fact quite often they adjust their policies to to have more freedom uh, and and but individual uh, citizens more. from different countries, one, don't necessarily directly engage with each other that much. And also in the current system, there's no belief by the average citizen that the governments are actually there to enforce their rights. No, so but, I'm more... but, no, no. But like, look at look at what's happening in governments around the world. Right. So we have more capitalism today than we we've ever had. China is becoming more capitalist now. If China were say the world government or something like that and there was no competing governments what incentive would they have to in to liberalize their their um marketplace right and and to uh you know go capitalist in the marketplace well the reason they go more capitalist the reason they approach closer to an what would be an objectivist uh government is because there are other relatively economic free nations and they see the flourishing that occurs and they and there's there's in other words there's competitive pressures on them right and and if there was a one world government um the, those competitive pressures wouldn't be there uh and so there there would be no nothing binding down uh that government from becoming totalitarian and the opposite of objectivist right so so to me the practicality goes well the other so I, way. I think um you know, the, the basic assumption or the, the basic premise is a government needs to be formed by rational men, right? I don't think, uh, I, I think that's, you know, what it, it calls for in, in the essay or just generally is that you need to assume that the men creating this government are rational men and will act rationally. But I still think that you're evading my point is that in a DRO or in any specific nation where you're talking about literally one person's in one individual's interaction with another individual's mm -hmm. if they have competing rule sets how does that dispute get resolved if you have one dro and i have another dro so i don't like right. so so here's here's the thing though i mean th this happens right now right so there's disputes between 
a businessman in the U.S. and a businessman in China, a trading partner. So, um, and, and there's no one world government that oversees this. So they have to figure this out. Now, either the two countries go to war over this dispute, the two competing governments that govern, they're, they're separate governments that separate, that govern two individuals that interact in the marketplace that, and, and this is happening increasingly in the world, right? That people, you know, the globe is shrinking in that we can trade with almost anyone we can have, and therefore we can have disputes with almost anyone in the world. Yet we have these competing governments and these governments don't go to war with each other, um, you know, because it's costly. And, and think about this too. These governments have, have more capacity to go to war than an objectivist government would, for example. Uh, or, or a, something that has to get its its funding voluntarily, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, no one would voluntarily fund the military-industrial complex, right? That 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 just wouldn't happen. And so, an objectivist government would be incentivized to find peaceful solutions to these problems, right? They would negotiate, find diplomacy, hire a, a third party between. The, the two things, try to convince the Chinese government to do the same or something like that. I mean, it, it, they would do everything they can to not go to war with them. And that that's a, the difference between involuntarily funded governments and voluntarily funded governments and governments that you consent to. And, and what I'm saying is that a DRO is no different than a, a voluntarily funded and consented to government. And I, I agree that anytime you have two or more people interacting uh, you, you, that there's, there's a market demand for an objectivist third party arbitrator. And the closer to objectivism you get, because uh, I believe like Ayn Rand does that principle is pragmatic, the closer mm-hmm. that objectivist, that dispute resolution organization subscribes to objectivist principle, the better, uh, the, the, the better its services are going to be, the more competitive it's going to be, the more customers it'll be able to, to pick up. And, and um, you know, th- there are objectivists, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. But so he why basically- wouldn't that then eventually just end up with one winning? If you're saying that ultimately, like the one with the best objective principles would increase its market share eventually, you know, into infinity. Well, no, I don't think it would because that's, it's like saying, you know, that a, a certain corporation is going to going to eventually get all the market share because they're the they're the best at it or something, right? Well, the problem is that as as corporations um, expand, as they get bigger, as they attract more customers, um, they they start to get uh, more. I guess inefficient, or they're they're not as good at customer service, right? They're not as good at, at meeting the customer's needs. There's inefficiencies when it comes to meeting customer service needs, and and a competitor can s- snap up. And even if their prices are a little higher, they they're maybe a little bit better at providing that service you want, um, and they take market share, right? So so there's the market balances these things out. And what I'm saying is that you don't want to have a corporation that can use violence to enforce its its monopoly on, on the marketplace, right? I think it's better to have competitive pressures, and we don't see corporations going to war with each other. But in an um, in an objective government, the government would not have the right to enforce its own 
will, it would only have the right to use force on behalf of an individual who was wronged and deemed sure. to have been wronged. So that's not the same as them coming and beating down anyone who wants to resolve things, you know, underneath the government or have DROs underneath some one larger right. thing. Well, well, it, okay, let's, it's only if let's, those things use force. Right. But why would I why would I use those government services for, say, justice or something like that? Like, I, you know, in an objectivist uh, state, um, you know, where where maybe someone steals something or uh, I've been wronged in some way, um, you know, I could rely on the government or maybe there's there's um, there's a, there, there's an organization that can uh, resolve that dispute more efficiently that falls within objectivist law that isn't going to initiate force or, um, you know, but maybe they're just really good at, at finding alternate resolutions that get me justice and, and respect everyone's rights or something like that, um, or protects me as an individual, right? Like maybe there's a security company that, that, um, can investigate and find out who actually did the crime where the government maybe isn't efficient, even an objectivist government isn't going to be perfect at solving crimes. Right. And, figuring out and that's not, not, that's not disallowed. It's just who, right. like, it's just the right to use force to infringe on another person's rights because they infringed on yours first. Right. So, so using you, retali retaliatory force or something like that. Right. Yeah. And that is specifically the only thing that I think is of concern, not any of these other, um, you know, justice metrics. So the government right. and the government would have that by default, but you wouldn't have to use them and you could use other ones um, in the free market. But it's literally only the idea of retaliatory force. Right. Um, so so, so and, I, I think that that's hitting on on the fact. OK, so um, I, I would say that I, I'm not convinced that retaliatory force is justifiable. Um, I, I don't know that it solves anything. OK, now. Can you use force to get back your the bike that someone stole from you, right? Is that considered retaliatory force or is retaliatory force simply punitive? So I don't think it would ever be punitive. I don't think it's you. It should never be, uh, you know. Just as a, it should never be punitive. It's only okay. if it can be if it's to, you know, regain something that was stolen from you. Right. Um, or these sorts of things. Right. I don't think it's ever punitive. And I think, yeah, so I think my concern is, you know, the the line of, I don't know right now the answer of, you know, what is the line if ever retaliatory force is acceptable, but I think it's very concerning to allow multiple or many organizations to determine those lines separately. And then that, and then you decide, oh, well, I like this organization because it lets me break down the door to get my bike back. And that other one says, no, 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 that's not the proper use of force. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, so, and, I, and I mean, I think that and that's where the, where the deal. Yeah, you know, I, I was just going to say this is this is where, you know, it, it's kind of like I fail. I, I'm not really seeing a huge disagreement here right? because I, no, I, agree yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's very much 
that well, be, that because, small because thing. Because what, what we're talking about here is like we both agree we don't we want objectivist law applied consistently. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I guess I I don't see how um, giving one organization a monopoly on that is going to allow that to happen. You don't see how having multiple competing organizations is going to allow that to happen. And just with you know, respect to the force, right? right? Just with respect to like government has a monopoly on the use of force, right? And so it's mostly the issue that comes down to if you and I have a disagreement and if we both opt into the same DRO or the same government laws, then we know what the limits and uses of force are. We've opted into the right. same agreement. But if we have different DROs, if we have different rules, then there could be an issue. And then who decides whether those uses of forces are acceptable? And if we actually have that engagement and my DRO says, you stole my bike, now I'm allowed, I'm warranted to break into your house to get it back. And your DRO says, oh, bike theft, that's not actually a valid reason. You broke into our house now. And now you, so we were actually the right. first actors and you're going to have retaliatory force. Um, yeah, and I totally get your thing. But I mean, this, this is the, you know, this is the argument in favor of monopolies, right? Is that um, we can't trust competitors on the marketplace like like th this you know in a marketplace first of all if, if you are if you are competing in this marketplace but this and, is the only and, marketplace sorry and, and you see yourself as um and, and your your company is seen as violating objective law or something like that uh you're going to lose market share you're 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 going to lose your livelihood, right? You you can't have vigilantism. You can't have arbitrary rules. You can't have like these companies are going to have to subscribe to the value of the people around them. And there's going to be intense pressure to now. I don't see where that pressure comes from. If you are given a monopoly uh, privilege to, to enforce these rules, like what, what would stop special interest from capturing you? What would stop, um, you know, what we see now, which is essentially, uh, you know, the, the government run amok being able to to violate objectivist law with impunity because they, they have the monopoly uh, privilege. No one else can compete with them. There, there's no pressure on them at all. They collect their stuff involuntarily. Well, I, I think that, you know, largely happens, yeah, because they have forced taxation and because they do so much, they do so much, right? If you really limit the role, the reason right. But uh, let's say let's say their role was limited to this, these cases of retaliatory force where someone's got to go re retrieve my bike and enact justice on this guy. I, I mean, what's to stop this government or the enforcers? I mean, enforcers are done by imperfect people, right? They're going to mm -hmm. make mistakes. They're going to go over the line. They're going to, uh, you know, maybe swat the wrong house and someone's going to die or something like that. Um, and and there's no there's no competitive pressure. I mean, they'll just shrug and go, "Yeah, sorry, we got this wrong," um, or they'll they'll throw out some propaganda to minimize what what happened. Um, so I and, don't think I don't think that would happen in in what I understand as a rational objective government. Right? There would be processes in place to you know advance, warn the person. This is the resolution we've come to. If you do not. You know, you've stolen this bike. If you do not return it, force will be enacted. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be immediate. Um, 
But I think right, right. But but what would happen if they violated their own processes, right? Like if if they violate, this happens all the time in government. They have processes in place that are supposed to protect the people, but yet they violate these, and then they hide them or minimize them. There's no competitor out there saying, you know, other than other politicians saying, I'm going to fix this, right? I'm going to put more rules in place and I'm going to solve your problem, right? Like vote for me and I'm going to expand government and, and you're not going to have right. these and problems so anymore. I, I, I think, you know, I, I think the specific issue that we, we can't seem to reconcile is that, is, yeah, is that like, if there's a second organization that, you know, can try in the free market to get people to shift away. Oh, the, you see these guys, they broke down this guy's door to get a bike back. That's not worth it. Like your bike's not worth infringing on someone's rights for. Like we wouldn't do that. But the thing is, the reason this market is theoretically different than all other markets is because it would be the only market that is the market of infringing people's rights, right? And so to say that that can be allowed to the free market, you know, I think is risky. I don't, I, I'm not just well, pragmatically I I, risky. I, I think it's, it's fundamentally risky because right. they're like, you know, we don't, I don't think objectivism claims that we live in an ideal world full of 100% rational objective humans, right? And so when you're talking about the the market of the right to infringe rights when objectively warranted, that's a lot riskier because you're talking about sure. someone's decision and beliefs about their right to damage someone else. All of all, all other markets are completely, right. you know, self-sustained, like, and and, and and this is where, um, you know, so I've, I've described in, in the past what, uh, what an anarcho, an anarcho-capitalist society might look like, right? Where, and I describe it this way, retaliatory force would, rarely if ever be used because mm -hmm. it's not it's not economically efficient right All right and so what would happen is ostracism essentially so if you have property in a city um, that city is privately owned you you don't have full rights to build your house however you want or access to services or access to street like there are some caveats that you're signing on to voluntarily when you buy property and you live in that city you're consenting to be governed by certain rules by the city owners or, or whatever, right? Um, and but and so, so what... if if and so if you violate those rules, if you steal a bike, if you do whatever, um, you're you, it's not like enforcers are going to show up and kick in your door and get that bike. Okay, no one so... would want to live under that rule set. Listeners to this podcast get a one week free trial to the Warrior Path. So sign up now. The details are below. I was coming off a stint in management uh, when I signed up for the Warrior Path, and I was pretty soft. I'm not going to lie to you, David. <laughs> I was uh, out of shape. I was huffing, and I had to come back to the floor, kick in doors, hump hose, fight fire, and I needed to get into shape. And Chad Kirkham at the Warrior Path definitely got me into shape. Uh, you know, I've, I've never felt better, to be honest. And he had an app that tracked the progress. I sent videos to him. Uh, it was it was a really slick 
application. Actually, I, I would send videos. He'd correct my form, send me little tips and, and videos. And, uh, and whenever, whenever I needed, he was available. And I'll tell you, I, I put on, I think about 50% on all my personal records in about a two month period, uh, working with the warrior power. If um, you owned a city, yep. would you want one DRO to have one set of rules within your city? Or would you think it's beneficial to have three DROs have three theoretically different sets of rules? Or do you well, say there's one set of rules and different it, people it you depends, can choose to enforce them? It depends what them. you mean by rules, right? So there, there's different things going on here. So first of all, I own the streets, I own the parks, I own the common places that that people use right and i'm going to have a set of rules now i'm the ruler of those i set the rules for that there, there's no mm -hmm. one else that's going to say and i'm going to enforce the rules and i'm going to have yeah. my enforcers enforce the rules and i'm going to try to do it in a, the most objective fashion possible because i'm the property owner and i want the people that are all interacting in that space to have a, an objectivist set of rules that are are going to apply right um now if if there's um if there's a dispute, okay, uh, do I need to be the arbiter of that dispute? Okay, if someone claims someone wronged them in some way, uh, do I need to be the one that that arbitrates that? No, I mean my rules are: listen, if you're in this city, you you need to use, um, you know, you can't just bang down people's doors. You have to subscribe to some sort of objective arbitration or justice thing, right? And now, if let's say um, I, so I steal a bike and uh, I don't submit to the process of justice that I agreed to with my dispute resolution organization, basically my insurance company that arbitrates these disputes or whatever. Uh, well, I'm going to be flagged. Uh, the city's going to, everyone's going to know that, right? Because it's just like a credit rating or something like that. Everyone knows what your credit rating is because in order to interact in society, you need to know, we need to know that you're trustworthy, that you honor your commitments, that you're honest, all these things um, are, are valuable pieces of information. So if I, if I am no longer subscribing to my, uh, th these set of rules, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm violating the contract I have now with my insurance company that but is in, in charge in... with investigating this and seeing if there is actually anything, then I can no longer operate in the city anymore and uh, i'm no longer going to be i'm going to be kicked out right i'm going to be but in your so city either i can submit to justice or i can kick but there's not going to be retaliation it's not like enforcers are going to swarm the house kick in the door and look for that bike it's but like how you, do they get you out of the city well you you forfeited your right right it's going to be right in your contract like if you don't follow the rules here and then you refuse be to leave then, then force will be used. That, and that's right. not, not retaliatory force. That's protective force in my estimation. It's simply, listen, we don't want you here anymore. You violated your contract. And because you violated your contract, um, you know, we're removing your right to live in this community. Okay. And so what I'm asking is if you own this city, yeah. right? And, you know, would you want one set of rules to apply to all of the homeowners? And if they don't, follow your rules in your city, yes. they have to be removed. Yeah, one set of rules when it comes to operating in the commons, interacting socially, yeah. Right, and so that's what I'm saying is you would then have that one set of rules created and you could have multiple people 
enforce those rules, but ultimately they'd be subordinate to whoever controls the rules themselves, which in this case would be you in your city, right? Yeah. And I, so I'm saying that process, that that layering would still need to happen at a grand scale. And so there still needs to be one set of rules that yeah. is agreed but upon see, or the else. Difference, yeah, the difference here is that a city, um, there's actual property there, right? Like there's property that I made. I, I made the streets, I made the parks, I developed the lots and I sold them with um, caveats or agreements to people that want to buy lots and they want to live in a community with a certain set of rules and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's a private owner setting. And so, yeah, he's essentially acting like a government. But what I can't do is plant a flag and say, you know, this entire landmass called Canada is now under my jurisdiction, right? No, but that, I, I because don't I think that would be the to... case. I don't think that's the case. Like, I think that's applying, like, you know, current framework on an objective future society, because in an objective Canada, all land is privately owned. But then those, you know, maybe some land masses are large and some people do own, you know, someone owns a owns Saskatchewan because they could own Saskatchewan for cheaper than they could own Toronto, right? right. Um, but, you know, at that scale, those people still need to interact and have some set of, you know, common rules. Yeah, that's fair. And, and you could say that, listen, if there's a bunch of private cities, you know, they might want to get together as private city owners and say, listen, we need to consider geographic defense. Maybe we should um, hire this government here to protect us geographically. It doesn't really make sense for us to have multiple key, uh, different people um, defending this landmass called Alberta or something like that, where right. all our cities are in. And and maybe there's, you know, geographical features and, and just... Um, Logistically, it makes sense to pool our resources in this one area and have like a a, a geographical defense right now <clears throat> that maybe you could call out a government or something like that. It's a geographical defense. Um, and yeah, and, and so maybe man, one of the... and maybe that maybe there's uh, like a, a dispute resolution between cities because there's probably going to be disputes even between private cities. Um, right. that need to be resolved at a higher level and stuff. And it makes sense that, you know, we and have so if, some. If you have a different set of rules than my city, then it's harder. And so you have to, if you're trading, you have to eventually agree to a set of rules. And if you're having complete free trade within any given jurisdiction, you want to eventually have an agreed upon set of rules. And then you have some body that says, yeah, these are the rules, right? Yeah. And so that's basically the way I come to the idea of there being, you know, a minarchist government is that there is one set of rules. So someone, even if it's one person or one council of private city owners, they have right. to agree to this is the set of rules that we're all agreeing to. And in terms of enforcement in, you know, many smaller senses, there can be these DROs. Right. There can be that to enforce the rules between any two citizens. And but they all have right. to agree to at some point one set of rules. Yeah. And so, like, I think what I just described there was in an anarcho capitalist society. And what you think I just described is a minarchist society. It sounds like we're using <laughs> two different words to describe essentially the same thing. Right. And, and you know, I, I'm trying to discover where the difference is here like if one of the cities in let, let's call let's just use alberta 
as an example, and you have multiple cities and they're all privately owned and they all contract with uh, some higher level dispute resolution organization or geographical defense organization, we'll call it a government, um, and, and it negotiates disputes and resolves disputes between cities and entities and, you know, um, that I would say there's, there's nothing wrong with one of those cities opting out of that and going their own way or something like that. Now they're, they're, they, they would essentially in my framework, they would be essentially be opting out of the nation, let's say, right? Right. They're right. Like so, so, you're so no longer part of this group sure. that follows these rules. And so right. you're your own nation now. And then you do have, you know, but you have to treat them very much as, well, we don't know what you're about anymore. You've not agreed to our rules. So we have to treat you with, you know, our, our arm outstretched. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can probably still, we're, we're not going to go to war with that city because they mm -hmm. opt out. We're not going to invade them. That, that just isn't economically efficient. We're going to do our right. best to be diplomatic and get along and, you know, encourage trade and all these kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> but to, I mean, to me, that's, that's, you know, what anarcho-capitalism looks like, right? It's, it's simply having a voluntary arrangement with these um, organizations that protect our individual rights and resolve our disputes or enact justice, right? Now, and so this I is think why. The, the, my understanding of the anarcho-capitalism idea, though, is that there is a free market of rules, right? And so I can pick a DRO that has laws that I think better suit me versus you picking one that you think are better suit you or, or are more right. And that is where the issue comes about if it's truly a free market of laws. Okay, but what I, what I just described is essentially that, right? Like it, the, that city can choose a different uh, dispute resolution organization or something like that. Like they can opt out of that the DRO called Alberta, let's call it, <laughs> that, that's charged with geographic defense and resolving disputes between the cities and, and the people in between the cities and that sort of thing. Um, so so a, a city like Calgary could opt out of that and maybe go with another one or just go on its own. Now there's going to be re repercussions, like it's going to be more difficult probably to trust doing trade with Calgary, maybe, you could say, mm -hmm. or maybe not. I mean, maybe they, they have, they, they adopt a system that is even better than the one we have, right? Which is, and then naturally um, you'd see that other cities nearby might agree and say, "Oh, Calgary's really thriving." Right. Yeah, and then maybe we join that nation, or you know, things get changed around, right? But again, to me, that's kind of like a marketplace. So, so you, you're not prohibited, in other words, from going somewhere. And so, um, and, and I want you to notice that in order to have that kind of society, you need rational men. You need you need a yeah. tipping point of rational people subscribing to objectivist law, just like you would in in any government that is going to be objectivist. You need a tipping point of citizenry uh, that are in that nation to subscribe to objectivist law or it's not going to happen. Right. Like you, you just can't have a, a few rational men impose it. I, so I know, think unless the you biggest had, like, philosopher kings or something like that. But yeah. So I think the the area of grayness, let's say, for lack of a better term, is the resolution in terms of like, you know, pixelation. How, at what level do people have the ability to opt into different sets of rules? Because right. I, I viewed anarcho-capitalism as saying 
at the individual level, you can opt into different sets of rules, which I don't think is true or could happen, right? But at the level of cities or like subset groupings doing that, that's yeah. much more likely. Well, you, you can't have a bunch of different rules in a city, right? Like you can't have, you know, if, if I'm a city owner and I've, I'm creating a community under a particular rule set um, and I'm trying to attract customers, I don't want a bunch of vigilantes going around busting in doors, right? And, right. and in fact, <clears throat> no one would want that. Um, but let's, let's imagine folks out in the rural areas, you know, you have a farm or something like that. Um, okay. Well, maybe now you, you have a different set of needs, right? Like, like your, your ability to, uh, uh, engage in justice and geographic defense and different things like that, um, are a little bit different. You, you don't need such a highly centralized, you know, there's, there's no infrastructure owner per se. And so but there would still be a set of rules that dictates your engagement with the city owner. Sure. sure. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. And in order to engage in commerce and trade and business, you, you're going to have to demonstrate that you are subscribing to a certain set of objective laws right now. You, I think you can do that by subscribing either to the same government that these cities are, or you, I'm sure that I don't see why you couldn't have competing um, dispute resolution organizations that are just more competitive and able to get to justice for cheaper and better results. Um, why you wouldn't subscribe to one of those? And I mean, they, they could easily be recognized as um, as like gold standard organizations <laughs> that are to be trusted. Right now, these organizations, you know, in order to be trusted as a government or as a dispute resolution organization or whatever, the only way anyone's going to entrust you is if you demonstrate your trustworthiness, right? So mm -hmm. you, you might have something like a bond in escrow, like maybe you have $5 billion in escrow and you say, listen, if anyone can find any wrongdoing with my organization where we uh, start stockpiling arms to do invasions, or if we engage in vigilantism and don't subscribe to this objective set of rules outlined in our constitution and charter, then that $5 billion as will go to whoever discovers fault with us or something. You can think of a thousand different ways to uh, guarantee your services and, and get, um, and attract customers, right? Um, right now, of course, if, if you give one organization a monopoly, there's no incentive to guarantee services. They're, they're like, you, you just can't compete with them. You can't secede from them, that sort of thing, right? So, so that's what I'd say about that. So I, I don't think it's that big. Well, and I think, yeah, I don't think there's that big a difference. Like the gap, if anything, is, is so small between our points of view right now. And I think the biggest thing is there's no indication that I've gotten from an from you know the objectivist stuff I've read that they'd prevent you from seceding, right? No. Like there's in, there's in no. In fact, there was an essay. That would be completely. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. It starts with a B. He did a. He he expanded on Rand's work because Rand doesn't really go into a lot of depth, technical detail, in in you know how this government would work and that sort of thing, right? She kind of outlines. Inswanger. 
No, I can't remember. It, but okay. he basically said, listen, you, you can secede in an objectivist government. And basically what ends up happening is your plot of land then goes to a different nation or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you end up with kind of a patchwork thing. But again, that, that to me, that, that just sounds like anarcho-capitalism. It doesn't sound like, uh, you know, and, and so this, you know, I, I yeah. I think I, I it's mean, just whether or not there can be competing uses of force or not, right? And I, I, I mean, I think we've covered it pretty in depth that there, there is, there seems to be a very small gap that I can't quite pinpoint, but it's, yeah. it's, it's potentially more a technicality than anything else, or a specific phrasing, uh, more than anything else. But in practicality, it might be like we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, I think you're right, and I, you know, this is this is part of the. Uh, you know, part of the problem is that, like, we're able to have a fairly productive conversation here. Uh, but if you read a lot of objectivist writings, they have a lot of derision and just pure venom at, at people like Rothbard and and others like me, who I, I think are saying exactly the same thing. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just taking it, what I think is to its, its proper conclusion which it sounds like the conclusions aren't that much different. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, maybe there's no difference in conclusions yet, but maybe we're using different words to mean the same thing. Um, you know, like typically I wouldn't use government to describe a voluntary organization. To me, a government is is uh, an organization that has a monopoly of force in a given geographical area. Um, and and yeah. you, you don't have the right to secede from or something like that, right? Whereas... You know, an objectivist might say, well, yeah, you do have the right to secede or it's only, you know, like like Rand said in her essay, Nature on Government, the government doesn't rule you. It only governs at your consent or at your pleasure, basically. Mm-hmm. So if you with that would imply to me that if you withdraw consent, you don't need to be governed by that that government or something like that. I mean, it would, it would, it would still, and ultimately it it wouldn't be governing you anyway. It would just simply be applying force protectively to protect its citizens. Right. So it's not like it's going to invade your property and do anything uh, to you if you secede anyways. Right. So no, definitely not. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it is just around, you know, within a city or within a geographical area, can there be multiple entities that claim the right to use force? Well, to use protective force, right? And so what we're talking about here is force applied in, under an objectivist principle, which is only protectively. Um, and, and, um, and obviously, if we all have the right to do that and we can delegate that to government, um, there's nothing that the government can do that we can't do necessarily mm. right the only difference is that they they are essentially in the business of doing it on behalf of other people um and they're experts at that and and that's where their authority to me comes from is that they're in theory experts at protecting individual rights where we all aren't right like I, i'm just not an expert at yeah that. and and among a, a group of rational men if there's 20 rational men that own homes in the same neighborhood and they want to get along they wouldn't choose to have two competing uses of protective force if they're like they wouldn't have us 10 versus you 10 they like that's just not that wouldn't happen if they're hoping well, no, 
and yeah, but 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 you know that's not quite true though because there are competing security companies right and it's not like the security companies go to war with each other it's just that you know i might like this security company because the rates are lower and they do a better job or you might like this security company because you know your your brother-in-law owns it or something like that and you trust them. right and, but the and security I mean, company they're, they're, they're doing the same job right they're not going to war with each other and they're, they're not doing any any of that they're just protecting your property they're protecting your individual rights so i don't see why you can't have competing security companies in a in a neighborhood right um, you can but then they can't use that they can't actively use force in a in, like not retribution is the wrong word but in retribution retaliatory force right there is some instances where retaliatory force may be needed right and they security companies don't have that right and so you would think that like 20 people living in the same neighborhood and this we're, we're gonna like end up back where we were but like in the same city you don't want multiple people having different rules about when retaliatory force is acceptable and that kind of thing so like if i'm in a neighborhood of 20 people and we want to get along we would sit down and agree to the rules right in any right and and look it, it would be a tricky business to get into like let's let's say you you it's reasonable that anyone could start a security company that could use retaliatory force to retrieve your stolen property that is a tricky business to get into it's not a business i would want to get into because there's just so much that could go wrong right it's dangerous first of all because you're busting into a house, you want to make sure it's the right house. Your business would be destroyed if you don't use a very transparent and fair due process where there's a set of warnings and there's all these things going on uh, beforehand, right? Um, if you so, but look, if if someone can do that, if they're good enough to form a government, well, then why wouldn't they be good enough to have a security company that? That could do something like that. That could retrieve your property, and that could right. do it in a way that, and you know, they and, could. And, it's just and, whether and or not two of those can exist and, in the same geographical area. Well, sure they could. I mean, all you're doing is is using a process to get stolen property back, right? And you're you're using force, and you have to do it in a very judicious way. And if you don't do it in a very judicious way, in a very objectivist way. Um, you you're going to go out of business and you're going to have your livelihood ruined. Whereas if you have the monopoly right to do that, you don't have quite the same incentive um, to make sure you're on point with your, your process because you're going to, you're the, you're the government, you're it. You're the one company that can do that in this geographical area. So. All right. Well, this has been interesting. I don't like I, I think we've pinpointed exact like I don't I don't agree with. I haven't been switched to saying that I'm an anarcho capitalist. Like I still think, you know, I'm on my my side of the aisle. But I, I think we've pinpointed how small this gap actually is. And I, I look forward to reading more about, into it and, and trying to. To see uh, if you're right. <laughs> yeah well, i mean listen you know it's uh it, it's it's a tricky subject and you know you've got me thinking as well um but yeah i, I mean i would have assumed the gap between us would have been much bigger right right and so i think it's interesting to know that we're basically seeming to just use different terminology for many things and it's really just one fundamental 
principle that would take place on a fairly small scale, but at large scales, it seems to be more similar, right? Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, some places where you might be able to do a bit more reading about this, um, there's two two books I would recommend. One is by David Friedman called The, the Machinery of Freedom. And David Friedman is uh, Milton Friedman's son, and he's uh, an anarcho-capitalist, but he comes at it from a practical perspective. He's not a de deontological guy. He just says that, listen, anything the government does can be provided by the market more effectively and efficiently. Um, and that, you know, things like justice and, and law and, and use of force are, are as tricky or complex or more than building cars. And if we think that that complex task should be left to the market, then that's all the more reason to entrust the market to the services that government currently does. And then the other one would be uh, Stefan Molyneux. He's got a couple of books, I think, Practical Anarchy and another one on anarchy that goes into detail about how some of this stuff might work. And, and those are the types of readings that convince me because, I, you know, I was basically a minarchist, but I just couldn't quite square that circle of well, how, how, you know, well, I think, do you, yes. Yeah. Where, do, where, do, where does government get the right to even form in the first place? And how is it that government can do things that I can't if I'm able to delegate my if it only gets its rights from me and I don't have right. the right to do it, where does it get the right to do these things? That, that, that was the nagging little question in my head. These guys and solved I, it. I, and I think that ultimately it was a practical reason why I couldn't quite get past minarchism. It was just like, I just couldn't understand. You, you have to have government. You have to have a final arbiter. And maybe part of it was, you know, my religious upbringing and thinking that there's one lawgiver in terms of God and, if you don't have that, you don't have morality or something like well, that. Well, there is but, an objective truth to anything, right? Like sure. there is there is the truth that we're consistently trying to discover, right? Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you have a, a group of people that all are objectivists and subscribe to objectivist law, I think, you know, I would describe that place, that geographical reason, region as an anarchist region and... Uh, you know, the, the, and that's not to say there wouldn't be rules. It's to say there wouldn't be rulers, right? There would be objectivist rules. There would be rules that make sure there's no ruler, basically. Uh, right, and I think well, so. Right, and I think that. I I, I think I agree with that. Um, you but do. no, but my my last point is that the marketplace of force is different than every other marketplace because if you have competing organizations for anything else all they're doing is creating and allowing you to choose whether or not you want their creation or not if these organizations are claiming that they have the right to get your property back for you or enforce certain like aggressive measures and these sorts of things that you know, the market correction has extremely detrimental possibilities, yeah. right? And so it is, I do think the use of force is a different market than anything else. Well, um, and, and, and to me, that's all the more reason to get government out of it, right? It's like, uh, it is such a tricky thing. It is so imperative that you get it right, that we just can't trust one corporation called government who violently enforces its monopoly to... Uh, to do that thing because it's going to screw it up like it screws up everything else. But I don't think it would violently <laughs> enforce its monopoly, right? It, 
were saying that it wouldn't have the right to enforce its own existence. It only has the right to, you know, act on behalf of individuals the same way they would act because you don't want to have to go knock down that guy's door to get your bike back, right? Right. But but that tells me it's a market actor. If it doesn't if it doesn't have the right to violently impose or something like that, enforce, you know, whatever you said, it doesn't have the ability to violently enforce a monopoly, then essentially it's a business like anything else. Right, but it's it's still uh, it's trying to get a monopoly within voluntarily. It's a monopoly within a given geographical region upon the consent of the people living within that region, because they're saying who at like, and that's what the democracy of picking that government would be. So maybe you have at any given time there are multiple competing political parties or governments. And it's just within any given geographical region, people are saying, okay, for the next few years, we're all going to follow these rules and we're not going to break it up into saying, well, I'm following this one, you're following that one. We're saying, okay, it's beneficial if we all test one together for a year. And then if we don't like it, we test another one or we modify it together, right? That's the difference is the, the, the size of the group that agrees to a certain set of rules of force, right? And that's why I asked, if you run a city, are you going to let people within the city have different rules than you? No, probably not. You're going to want them to live within one set of rules. Um, But if your city, all of your citizens say, hey, the rules you picked, actually, we don't like them and we're all going to leave if you don't change this piece of it, you would. But, you know, you would adapt that for the whole, right? rather than having competing interests within the, the, do you get what I'm saying? Like, that's really the only difference well, is it's the resolution. Well, yeah, but we're, we're talking about different services here, right? So when, when a city, if I'm a city owner and I talk about rule sets, right, I'm talking about real property, like property that I own, the streets, I don't want litter on them. I want people following traffic rules. I don't want, yeah. you know, I, I want certain rules of conduct or whatever in the commons in my place just like if i own a business your audio went dead can't hear you can't hear you Uh, you know what happened? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. That's uh, you know what ha- my uh, wife started up the vehicle, and I think the Bluetooth connected to the vehicle, so they are probably hearing our conversation <laughs> <laughs> out in the garage. That's funny. Yeah. Um, sorry. What you were saying? Uh, you know, again, you're saying that there in the yeah. city there's private property, and but like that's the case in a country, right? Like everything right. would be private property still. And so, yeah. and, and, and so, so what we're talking about is where force is used, right? So, but most things don't require the use of force, right? right. Force is, is best used protectively, like um, in the moment. Um, and, 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 and then 
justice after the fact. So even for things like stolen property or crime that's committed, um, you don't necessarily need to go retaliate with force, right? Like that's not the most economically efficient way to resolve it. What you can do with, is withdraw your properties. So everyone around the person can withdraw their property. Listen, you can't draw, be on my city streets. You can't be doing any of this. You can't be doing any of that unless you voluntarily submit to justice. If you don't do that, you don't submit to justice, to the process that you agreed to, that you right here signed on to, um, right. you're going to have to go live out in the wilderness and and enjoy you know ruling the animals or something like that but there's no um, wilderness everything's privately owned uh maybe you know or there's ice flows i'm sure we can put them on an ice flow or something right or the ice yeah. flows owned <laughs> no but i mean there's going to be um there's going to be places and even like let's let's say every scrap of the earth is is uh privately owned right there's going to be people that specialize in in housing degenerates that just don't yeah. want to subscribe you know maybe they wall off the wilderness or they have rangers guarding it to protect uh civilization and the rest of us pay a small fee to these people to keep the animals out but at any rate you, you're not going to um you know there's you're not going to put up with that and, and you, you don't really need to use retaliatory force right so a lot of these problems can be solved without even having an eight. So what you want is dispute resolution. You want processes of justice. You want uh, rules in the commons. All these kinds of things can be done um, better privately, I think. But okay, well, we'll leave it there because I still like. I don't think we're going to get any closer. But it's been a very interesting conversation to see about you know where very specifically the differences actually seem to be. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're interested in this conversation, you know, in the comments below, drop in um, some some literature that you'd like us to read. Maybe maybe I need to read up on this a bit more and I'm totally out to base. Maybe David's totally out to base. But but drop in your comments and, you know, we're not going to be convinced with kind of uh, two sentences from you in a YouTube section, but do some reading and drop some some of your favorite articles on this subject um, you know anarchism versus minarchism and what you'd like david and i to to brush up on that that would help us see your point of view so perfect thanks tim thank you david